Welcome to the Ag Culture Podcast, where we cultivate tomorrow by inspiring agripreneurs and ag innovators through real life global perspectives in agriculture. I'm Paul Windemuller, your host on this journey of exploration and growth. Today's episode is with Aaron Phillips of Walters Gardens. And I had a lot of fun doing this episode. Um, I was on site for about half a day walking through the greenhouses. Aaron showed me all around, uh, showed me a lot of their technology. So I'm going to showcase that on some of the social media platforms throughout the week here after this episode airs. So you can see a lot of the, the really neat things that I was able to, um, to see and, and witness as I was going around talking to Aaron that afternoon. So I hope you enjoy uh, this time. There's a lot of uh, discussion about technology. Uh, this is in the, the greenhouse and nursery sectors. So a business that I haven't uh, spent a whole lot of time in but that I found very fascinating while I was doing this interview. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Now on to our interview with Aaron. Welcome to the Ag Culture Podcast today. I am with Aaron Phillips of Walters Gardens here in Zeeland, Michigan, at one of the greenhouse locations, uh, the newest one, I mm -hmm. believe, correct? Uh, welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Aaron and I met um, a couple of months ago at a food and agribusiness uh, conference in Michigan here and hit it off. We had some great discussions about technology, yeah. about what we're doing in our different sectors in agriculture and thought you'd be a great guest on this podcast and, and really intrigued by the story of what Walters Gardens has done. It's kind of been a, a uh, pretty big enterprise in, in the community mm. uh, locally here, I know, for quite some time, almost 60 years, I believe. Yeah, we're up to 78 years. Oh, 78. Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's quite a history yeah. here. Uh, so why don't you tell mm. us a little bit about yourself and your background? What got you to where you're at today? Sure. Yeah. Uh, if we go way back, uh, so... I have a degree in environmental science, uh, graduated around the time of the downturn. So uh, actually went back to school. I uh, got a certificate in greenhouse management through Michigan State uh, and found an internship position up in Grand Haven at Spring Meadow Nursery. And, you know, within two months of my internship, uh, they hired me into the program. So a little bit of background on on uh, Spring Meadow uh, and the Proven Winners brand. Uh, so Spring Meadow is the flowering shrub partner of the brand name Proven Winners and Walters Gardens is the perennial partner of Proven Winners. So it's pretty cool. West Michigan is the only place in the world that you can uh, have your choice of Proven Winner partners to, to work with. So that was, that was pretty cool to have both of those in my background. Kind of real brief history of Walters Gardens. Uh, so uh, we've been on the corner of 96 and Chicago Drive in Zealand, Michigan, for the past 78 years. Okay? <laughs> so rewind all the way back to you know post World War II, and Walter's family started a bare root perennial, yeah, flower business, uh, and they've they've been farming that that we're, we're actually at, at that same site still today. Uh, that's where our main campus is. So Walter's Gardens, uh, it's the the Walter's family. They're they are now in their third generation. Uh, so yeah, it's been a family owned operation for 78 years. 
we have a corner on the market in uh, flowering uh, perennials. Uh, so we do mainly two different crops. One is a bare root perennial, and then we also do a, a greenhouse grown plug. Um, and we are a part of the Proven Winners uh, partnership. So we're the perennial producer. Uh, so if you see Proven Winners at any garden center across the country uh, with a PW logo, uh, we are the perennial partner in that brand. Uh, and you know, we're, we come from a line of farmers. Uh, like I said, third generation, uh, we started with bare root perennials. Uh, we have 1,500 acres of uh, nice sandy West Michigan soil here. <laughs> Uh, works really well for growing bare root product, uh, and we we use that to our advantage. So we can grow really nice, bulky uh, bare root product, uh, nice and sandy and free of uh, clay and other debris. Uh, we can clean that up really good. Uh, we have a, a premium grade one product uh, that our customers really like. So, and along with that, fifteen hundred acres. How many square feet of greenhouse space sure. do you also have? Yep. So with a fifteen hundred. 1,500 acres, we do about uh, 600 of that, more or less, uh, we have in production. Then we uh, rotate that out. Um, we do cover crops and things like that. On the greenhouse side of things, uh, we have about 17 acres now of greenhouse production. So at our main site, we had been adding on uh, you know, an acre here, two acres there. I think we're up to about six different types of greenhouses, right? So if you're decades old, greenhouse company, you're going to have decades worth of greenhouse technology as well. We decided that we wanted to do things a little bit different. We kind of started getting uh, boxed in a little bit at our main site there. It's a it's a pretty busy corner and, and it, we're running out of space. So, well, we looked at our fields that we had and, um, you know, talking about the, the soil type is really important for, for growing our bare root products. And on one of our biggest sites that we've owned for the longest time, um, you know, we have really nice sandy soil. And then part of that farm was heavier clay. We really couldn't do anything with it with bare root. Uh, to, well, that's, that's a nice big spot to build a greenhouse. Perfect building yeah. site, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So the, the farm is called Cedar Break. And we decided that the easternmost part of Cedar Break Farm, we decided to, yeah, go ahead and build a new production facility uh, with connected greenhouses and, and basically the works. Um, we started with a blank slate, just it was a cornfield, right? We were renting it out to farmers and we're just like, yeah, let's, uh, let's pick that as our spot. Um, we had to bring in all utilities into the site. Uh, we designed our production facility as the head house. We designed uh, four acres of greenhouse. The cool thing about this site is that we've designed it for expansion. So unlike our main facility that we just kind of, you know, pieced together over the years, uh, we really had a, a kind of forward thinking mindset when we were planning this space. It was a blank slate and we wanted to do it right. So yeah, we, we designed a, about an acre head house uh, with, with shipping. We designed all the logistics around the whole site four acres of greenhouse, full build on this site can be upwards of 20 acres of greenhouse. Oh, wow. So you have a lot of room for expansion. Yes. yes. So we did. And and we we decided to design it modularly as well. So in four acre chunks. So if you think we can do did this four acre phase one site, uh, then we can do another phase and another, and we can do upwards of five different uh, phases, four acres at a time. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. 
And that's where we're sitting at right now in the greenhouse. So if you notice the lighting's probably not the best, we decided it's pretty nice out here today. So we're going to hang out here. Yep. So going back to, to how we met. So your your title is, is greenhouse systems manager, correct? Correct. And, and when I <clears throat> first met you and talked with you, I, I kind of pegged you as, as you know, you're, you're not, you don't have your own business, but you're definitely an entrepreneur uh, sure. spirit yeah. in, in agriculture. Yep. That's, that's. Uh, what what really uh, drew me to want to talk to you more and and get to know you more, and that's what this podcast is about is is the the entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in agriculture. Sure. So, I know something that we talked about. So we we did a tour uh, of the facilities this afternoon. Uh, Aaron showed me around, mm-hmm. and uh, we talked a lot about technology, things that they're utilizing in the operation, things that he would like to potentially do someday. What drove you to be interested in that aspect of, of agriculture? That's a great question. It's it's really the idea of continuous improvement. The the idea of okay, yeah, we're we're doing it this way now, but what if we tweak this or what if we just like stepped back from this whole process and took a different look at it? Uh, um, how can we do this better? Right. So I love asking the questions. What are we doing? Like, why are we doing this? What are we doing? How can we do it better? Uh, what if we tweak this? What if we invest in this? What if we research this? Um, really to kind of take the, you know, 40,000 foot approach, step back, look at the, the whole process, uh, and then see what's working, what's not. Um, and then dive into those things that are, that really aren't working very well. Then research what kind of technology is out on the market. Look to other industries too. So, I mean, really we're, we're hort and ag, right? Horticulture right. and agriculture. Uh, horticulture is really interesting, uh, you know, the, the flowering plant business, um, but it's it's within agriculture as well. Yeah. So there's definitely overlap there, but really uh, starting to reach out uh, past the horticulture industry uh, into uh, established, long established industries like agriculture, like ma- manufacturing um, and looking at um, what technologies they already have in place uh, when it comes to automation, uh, AI, things like that. Um, it seems like other industries maybe are a, f- a few years ahead of uh, horticulture, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes. And and Walters Gardens has a history of kind of being an innovator. With uh, I believe they were the one of the first ones in the country to have a tissue culture lab. That's true. That yeah, right? yeah. I was actually that was the example that I was going to use. Yeah, back in the seventies, right uh, when uh, tissue culture technology at the time was really in research universities uh, as a way to propagate uh, genetics. Uh, yeah, owners of uh, Walters Gardens uh, decided that that was a really good way to propagate uh, hard-to-produce material. Uh, and yeah, we were one of the first first ones in the country uh, to be able to do that. And we we just in the past couple of years, uh, we, we still had our uh, um, initial TC lab up and running uh, and we just moved it offsite, um, basically due to um, you know uh, sanitation reasons, things like that. We uh, we really want to keep our genetics bank as clean as we can. Yep. Um, moved that to an offsite location uh, in in Holland. A little bit of a trivia: it's actually an old Pfizer plant, uh, an old R and D facility um, that was owned by Pfizer at one point, and it was uh, uh, gifted over to Michigan State University. Okay, uh, so now it's a research facility uh, in in Holland. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, today, as we went around um, touring the facility, we saw a lot of different technologies. Mm -hmm. You're showing me that uh, you have adapted 
you want to name a few of those, what they're do, what they do, um, and sure. and some of why you invested <clears throat> in those. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we basically went around the followed the path of the plant, right? right. So, yep. when a plant comes to the door, where does it go uh, until it's a finished product out out to shipping? Uh, so one of the places we started was uh, in the LA room and we talked about our end of line scanning, uh, our barcode system. Uh, so every flat that we produce has two barcodes on it. One is an inventory tracking barcode and the other barcode is uh, basically for labor tracking. It's an employee ID barcode. Um, and uh, Paul got to see the, uh, the um, automated scanning at the end of the line. So uh, an employee will finish their flat. Uh, put it on the bottom belt. It will go through an automated scanning, uh, um, barcode scanning, uh, and that will do two things. Uh, one, it will put that newly created inventory into the system, uh, and then it will also track the labor of that employee. So it will time the difference between uh, one flat they produce and the next flat that comes down the line, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, so. yeah, and and you're able to show some uh, pretty phenomenal results just the example that you gave me i think right before i had come sure and and um real time being able to help laborers retrain while you're sitting there and it, yeah exactly. at that point i think you said it basically cut the uh labor uh time per flat yeah. down in almost half yep. by retraining on the go yeah exactly so uh with this with the other barcode uh we we track labor uh so we have an expected rate for each work order that we do uh, and we display that on a screen uh, and actually like in a leaderboard style. So mm -hmm. we, we have our employees listed by their names. Uh, and then instead of working in plants per hour, we actually display it as minutes per flat. Uh, it's a lot easier for the human brain to comprehend that kind of time frame. And it's been working out really well. So we made that change uh, this summer uh, is, is great. So we can see minutes per tray per employee uh, and the expected rate as well. So uh, then our line leaders can actually focus on uh, some of the lower performing employees uh, and try to get them from red, which is 90% or below, uh, up into the gray, which is at expected rate. Uh, and there's also a green category for anything above 110%. Uh, so it's a really easy visual cue, not only for the employees that are working on the line, but also for the line leaders that can focus on training for individual employees. Um, so, you know, we're we're in there earlier today and uh, there were certain new employees that weren't quite getting the technique. So talk to the line leaders really quick, adjust that technique. Uh, we came back with Paul a few hours later and they were doing the same same tasks, same uh, same technique, uh, updated technique, uh, and they were able to cut their production rate in half. Uh, so about 10 minutes per tray down to about five minutes per tray. Yeah, that would be yeah. cool to see. And uh, one of the other uh, intriguing uh, pieces of labor-saving technology that we looked at that you guys have recently invested in, I believe you said two years ago now, yep. is the sorter. Yes. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about sure, that? Sure, yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun project to work on. So a lot of our uh, labor goes into sorting our product. So, uh, you know, Walters Gardens, we're really focused on the quality of the plugs that we're selling. Uh, we, we want that to be a really nice quality material going to our customers. Um, in order to do that, we do a lot of uh, manual sorting. Well, do we need to sort everything manually? There's, there's other ways to do that, right? So uh, we decided to look at 
technology that's out in the industry, um, uh, kind of the egg hort thing, right? Uh, Again, if you're looking in the horticulture industry and um, looking to um, other companies that are automated, it's really looking over the pond. It's looking to uh, the Netherlands, Germany, um, Belgium, places like that, uh, that have really invested heavily into automated equipment. So uh, the company that I have experience with uh, working at Spring Meadow uh, is TTA. They're out of the Netherlands. uh, And we decided to, after quite a bit of research, ROIs, all that kind of stuff, uh, we decided to invest in uh, one of their uh, bigger, newer technologies. It's called a TTA Flex Sorter. Okay. So it's really, it's a really cool piece of equipment. It's oh, about the size of your living room and uh, it has, you know, uh, infeed belts, uh, it has grippers that come and pick up the plant. Um, and then it uh, puts it into a photo booth uh, and then take, takes an infrared picture of it and basically counts the pixels of chlorophyll that are present in that image, uh, which is really cool. Um, and then in a millisecond, it will decide whether that's a grade one, a grade two, or a grade three product, and all like automatically move into the position to to place it in the flat. Rates, right? We want to talk about rates with with this uh, labor saving piece of technology. So, uh, if we did that same process by hand, we could do maybe about five to six hundred plants an hour, maybe seven if we're on a good day um, with good uh, plant material. Uh, the machine itself can do about 5,000 plants an hour. Uh, so when you talk about uh, labor hours, uh, we're, we're really saving about nine to 10 positions uh, when, when we run that machine, um, depending on if we have a you know, machine operator, then you know, a quality check person. Things are running really good. We can run it with one, just one person. Awesome. Yeah. So besides uh, some of those labor savings technologies, we, we looked at uh, a couple other things in the greenhouses themselves that you use in, in your growing. What are some of those technologies? Sure. Uh, so it was really fun to... De- okay, let's talk about Cedar Break, right? We're, yep. at, we're at the Cedar Break facility. And it was, it was really fun to kind of look back at uh, Walter's Garden's main site and see what we had done over the years and what worked really well and yeah, what didn't work so well, right? <laughs> so we could kind of take the best of our decades old experiment, take that stuff here and, and uh, build a really nice greenhouse. So one of the one of the best greenhouses that we have at our main site, we call acclimation. Uh, so that's where we take our little tissue culture plants and our unrooted cuttings and we, we put roots on the plants, uh, grow them from you know baby plants into uh, rooted plugs. Um, and one technology that we introduced, this was a few years back when we, when we built that site, we looked into um, a really interesting technology. It's called dry fog. And it comes from Japan, where they do a lot of automotive welding. So in these big factories, they need to uh, maintain a certain humidity level uh, for like static electricity, right? Uh, and thought well that's that's pretty good you know okay so industry standard is you know really high pressure water and it's you know fed into this fog system with you know little brass nozzles that you always have to clean and um you know um it's it's just a pain and it doesn't work and it breaks down and there's a lot of maintenance um it drips all over your plants it's 
it's just no good. So this dry fog system is basically a, a glorified uh, spray paint can, right? So it's it's a water reservoir, uh, and then if you force uh, high pressure air over that water and force it through a nozzle, uh, it basically uh, uh, vaporizes the water, um, and you can stick your hand in, you know about a foot away from the nozzle, uh, and your hand will be will be humid, but it won't be wet. No. Um, and they have really, uh, really nice humidity control in that environment. Um, but it's a really good example of looking to other industries uh, and what can we bring into the horticulture industry to, to improve our process. Right. And, and that's one of the reasons why I have uh, people like you on this, this podcast is how do we look in agriculture at different sectors and be able to utilize some of those tools that you might have in a greenhouse that yeah. I could use on a dairy farm or, or on another crop somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Great, great example of that. One of the other things that we talked about was lighting. You want to go mm -hmm. a little bit into that and some of the, sure. Um, I know you guys were kind of on the cutting edge of that uh, Yeah. In, yep. in the greenhouse industry. Yeah. So um, let's rewind back to about 2017. There, There's this new technology in the, in the greenhouse horticulture industry, LED lighting. Um, it's, it's pretty commonplace now. Um, you know, there were, you know, in the, you know, residential LED bulbs, uh, you know, not not a new thing, but when you're talking about an established industry that's used to that's used to high pressure sodium uh, to, to to light their crops and growers are used to that, uh, it's really hard to break into that. So, uh, 2017 um, is kind of funny. Walters Gardens was doing an LED installation at the exact same time I was doing the first LED installation up at Spring Meadow. Um, so got that up and running. You know, did the whole ROI calculation, did a presentation, got it. Uh, got installed, uh, and then um, we we work with um, uh, Philips Signify uh, is the company that we go for right now. Um, they have a, a a compact module. It's a it's a one to one replacement with your standard HBS thousand watt lamp. Um, unplug that, plug this one in, um, you're good to go. So uh, really really fascinating stuff. Um, LED. Uh, lighting is definitely a, a, a different beast. Uh, there's things that you have to uh, keep in mind. Um, but really, if you if you think about it, plants see light differently than we do. They see red and blue a lot stronger than we do. If you walk into a greenhouse that's lit with LEDs, it looks really dim because our eyes are uh, really focused on uh, yellow and green wavelengths, where plants are the exact opposite. They have two peaks. One is blue and one is red. That's why plants are green, right? Uh, so uh, they reflect everything that they're not using. So that's why when you look at an LED fixture, it's a mixture of blue LEDs and red LEDs. Then you get this funky purple color, Yep. right? Uh, <laughs> You'll see some um, pictures if you go yeah. to the social media stuff yep. later on. I'll post some of that. Yep. So um, little, a little harder for our eyes to comprehend. Um, throw a, you know, a, a slight white led percentage in there as well it makes it a little easier to work under um but the uh, the plants love it yeah so um we're able to cut our energy uh by about a third uh when we go to leds um there's great rebate programs out there um across the country um you know work with your local energy supplier and i'm sure there's a rebate program out there um but that's really when we when we do new installations that's what we go to um, you know, we do light studies, but we, we kind of know what's going on. So well, um, one of the one of the benefits you said you noticed was the, the coloring of the plants or the uh, 
sure the, the term that you yeah the, uh, we were talking about variegation variegation yeah, so yeah, so uh, one thing Walters Gardens does well is ho- our hostels uh, we grow upwards of a hundred different varieties and each one has a, a different variegation pattern um, and uh, we've noticed that uh, growing under LEDs. Uh, they're a little more compact, but they stay actively growing, which is really cool. Uh, and then also, uh, it brings out this variegation pattern a little more as well. So the greens are a little darker green, the yellows are a little brighter yellow, and it really aids in um, sorting. Uh, we have a specialized group of women who sort hostas, um, and they do it by they do it by sight by variegation. We want to make sure that we're selling. Uh, it's called true to name or true to type. We want to sell true to type plants to our customers uh, if we're selling it under a certain variety cultivar name uh, if we have certain genetics or a certain you know if it's a pw uh, variety we want to make sure that that variegation is true to its name mm-hmm. yeah now um i think we're staying in that same greenhouse we got onto a discussion about vertical farming oh, and the pitfalls yeah. of that and sure. um one great point that you brought up that i really uh, really liked. I think anyone in agriculture can use this. Is um, you had mentioned using what nature gives you uh, for free, um, and and that's one reason why you set the greenhouses up the way you do, and uh, using the the natural sunlight mm-hmm. that you can capture by some of the glass types that you were sure. using in the houses, mm-hmm. um, as well as um, the natural heat that is created from that. And also even the natural convection of, of warm air rising yep. to, to cool the greenhouses, not trying to use as much mechanical uh, ventilation and mechanical, yeah, mechanical items for. Um, yeah, for something that could grow. be done a little easier. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So that was a really fun conversation. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, so let's talk about, oh, what to talk about first. Let's talk about sunlight and vertical farming. So um Vertical farm is is really interesting because uh, if you think about it, uh, we're trying to pack a ton of plants and a ton of technology into a really small space um, and really to decrease the footprint. Um, and, and that's great, um, but it's a huge upfront cost. So from the greenhouse side of things, uh, only doing one layer of plants, right, on the greenhouse floor, that's still a, a really big investment for infrastructure, for you know, LED technology for venting, for watering, for everything that that plant needs. You got to fit that in. It's hard enough to fit it into a greenhouse. It's even harder if you have to fit it into every single level in a in a vertical farm. Um, now, there's another really interesting thing about vertical farming is that you're you're taking away sunlight um, from a greenhouse grower perspective. I always scratch my head about that and say, well. <laughs> Why would you do that? You know, um, because really, when we talk about our LEDs, we're talking about supplemental lighting, um, where it's really supplemental to the free energy that we're getting from the sun. Um, yeah, in, in January, it's not enough in West Michigan, but then we supplement that with LEDs. Um, with a vertical farm, if you turn the lights off, it's dark. It's 100% black, right? So... Um, then you have to supply 100% of the lighting that's in that vertical farm. That's called sole source lighting. So you're providing all of the light for the energy that those plants need. Um, same thing goes with heat, okay? So um, 
granted with a vertical farm, uh, their issues are more with cooling than it is with heating. Um, they're trying to cool down uh, the the heat energy that comes off of their um, uh, their lighting fixtures. But then you still are trying to circulate your air. It's a lot harder to move air horizontally than it is vertically. Um, in a greenhouse, uh, we get free light energy from the sun. We get free heat energy from the sun. Everybody knows greenhouse effect. I mean, right? Uh, right? <laughs> That's the term, right? <laughs> That's the term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's old school stuff, right? <laughs> so um, we get a lot of free heat from the sun as well. Uh, granted, that doesn't really happen in west michigan right but the same thing goes with um uh moving air okay so my experience uh starting my greenhouse growing uh uh career up at spring meadow uh they have uh um, basically the the peaks of their greenhouses are all uh, vented directly from the peak okay so you might have a you know 400 foot long greenhouse and it will open along the peak all the way down um, with some of the older builds at Walter's Gardens, similar builds, that's okay. Um, uh, we're trying to move hot air out of the greenhouse and move in cool air horizontally. And that takes so much energy. Uh, we have huge exhaust fans on one side, huge vents on the other side, and we're trying to move. Air is really heavy and it doesn't want to move. And we're trying to push all of that air through the greenhouse uh, in order to cool it. It's so much easier if you rely on air density to make that change for you. Mm -hmm. If you crack the roof and let the cool air fall and the warm air rise, uh, you can get an air exchange into your greenhouse within like two minutes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I remember you know, back in my internship days, um, standing in the greenhouse in March, uh, and just feeling that cool air fall on me. Um, and just like, man, that's, that's really efficient. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then sure enough, two minutes later, the greenhouse would up. close up and we'd be right on target for our, for our, uh, uh, uh heating needs and, and we'd be good to go. Um, uh, but yeah, with, you know, we talked about cooling pads as well and how that's the technology that we use in, horticulture and in in um, ag with dairy farms trying to keep cows cool right uh you know um and uh yeah cooling pads work but only for a certain distance again cooling pads work by uh literally sucking air through wet cardboard right <laughs> uh causing that um uh in uh evaporation cooling um but then you're still moving that air horizontally and it only gets to a certain point in the greenhouse before it heats up again um and we found that it's maybe 150 200 feet uh before it starts warming about that about halfway distance uh of our greenhouse um and yeah we have that in a certain certain areas and yeah it works to a certain extent but it it sure costs a lot of energy to do that yeah and you have some other really simplistic um not really technical things but like shade cloth and heat yep. cloth um that you utilize i mean they're they're pretty simple concepts right yep they're they're not very technical but they're very effective mm -hmm. so i think uh for me and probably you being one to really be interested in technology sure. we also have to balance that right oh and exactly yeah like you said using yep. what nature gave you or, yep. or the simplest concept that might uh actually work the best yep 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we yeah we talked about different types of shading. We have uh, two different types. We have a shade curtain, which does what it does. It uh, uh, you know closes and provides shade for the plants on warm days. Uh, warm sunny days in June is a little too much for the plants. Uh, we'll shade them and actually keep our greenhouse temperatures down. The flip side is true. We have something called uh, thermal curtains or energy curtains that we will close uh, during the night on cool winter nights. Uh, and they're, they actually have a little bit of aluminum in them and they will reflect the uh, heat energy back into the greenhouse. Hmm. It's balancing that light energy versus containing the heat energy. Right. That's the game we play in December, January. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's switch gears here. Sure. What are some of the bigger challenges that you see in your industry moving forward in the future, and um, how do you feel you guys at Walter Gardens are are set to handle those things? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I think uh, in the greenhouse industry, uh, in the ag industry, we're dealing with something. Uh, so basically, cost of labor is is really increasing quite quite rapidly. Uh, we're starting to rely on a worker visa program called H2A. Uh, so it's basically the agriculture uh, worker visa program um, where we lie on, rely on outside work uh, to, to get our work done. Um, and uh, it's based on something called uh, the adverse effect wage rate. So AEWR. Uh, this is set by the Department of Labor every year. Uh, and it keeps going up every year. <laughs> just uh, like everything else, Just right? like everything else, <laughs> exactly. Um, and the idea behind it is to um, basically uh, make sure that our H-2A workforce is paid equally with local workforce. Uh, so it's based on a, a survey that goes out to the industry about local workforce wage rates. Uh, that feeds into the AER to, AEWR program. Uh, and then those rates keep on going up. So labor cost is one of the biggest challenges that we're going to face in the next couple of years. The thing that we're looking to to get around this is basically automation. Um, how can, you know, sure, for a while, there's low-hanging fruit about how to do things a little more efficiently and improve processes and things like that. But you get to a point where you can only go so far with manual labor. What's the next step after that? It's really automating these manual processes and starting to invest in uh, larger pieces of equipment like the TTA flex order, uh, other other things like that. Yeah. So we have we have a you know I always have stuff in my back pocket <laughs> that I'm working on. Um, so we have a, a handful of projects that we're doing research on right now. Um, you know, it's all about all about the ROI, um, your return on investment for that piece of equipment. Um, we're really looking into an ROA of, of about two to three years uh, for the the labor saving technology to pay for itself. Um, and if if that's the case, then we'll we'll seriously look into it, um, get a team together, uh, and uh, and and make it happen. Yep. And and one of the other mm. things I believe you said uh, when we were touring today, uh, you do have some tissue culture growing areas outside of the U.S. Correct. Um, what what were the main reasons for that? Is that purely labor? Are there other benefits that you've seen from, from sure. doing that? And where, where are those areas? Yeah, so 
so yeah, the, the tissue culture industry is fascinating. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, if you, if, if you ask anybody at it, like go to your local farmer's market and pick up a hosta plant and ask somebody, well, where did this plant start? Look at, at the garden center <laughs> or at the, at the farmer down the road. Well, actually it goes way farther back than that. Um, most, uh, most, let's say this, uh, most basal growing plants uh, actually only come from TC uh, because you can't take a cutting to propagate that. So it's actually a, a, a division that has to happen. Um, and uh, hosta is susceptible to something called hosta virus X uh, that proliferated during the 70s and 80s and 90s when hostas were the coolest thing ever <laughs> uh, and everybody wanted to divide them. Well, then hosta virus virus x was all over the place as well uh so we do uh virus screening for all of our uh for all of our varieties um and once it's clean and in our tc lab uh, basically that's the way that we can get it to overseas suppliers uh, we send our genetics our genetic material over to overseas suppliers um, they will multiply it in a uh, uh, sterile laboratory setting um, and we might send over 10 plants and they will grow it over, you know, multiply it to 100 and then 1,000 and then 10,000. Uh, and then we can book our orders. We can put a uh, purchase order in and, and start receiving that material back. Um, so uh, we, we do that for labor saving costs, definitely. But we also do it for cleanliness. Um, and then we also do it for um, basically timeliness as well, right? How do you, how do you, okay. So if, if you have a really cool plant, and it's the newest, coolest, greatest thing ever. Uh, and you want to patent it and make more of them. How do you do that? That's the business we're in, yep. right? Uh, and tissue culture is a really, like, a really good way to do that, uh, where you can multiply uh, that genetic material, uh, basically cloning, right? We're cloning under sterile conditions. So then we can have 10,000 of the exact same plant um, in a few months. Uh, and then have it up to production numbers. Awesome. Yeah. I'd like to prick your brain a little bit about your, sure. your personal insights. Sure. Um, uh -oh. you know, <laughs> as, as somebody that, um, you, you didn't really start out being around this as a kid, right? G correct. Yeah. So yeah. what, what got you intrigued to want to be involved in, in, uh, what you're doing today and, and what kind of led you Sure. Uh, to have the motivation, the drive. Obviously, you're very driven. You're very excited. You know, showing Thanks. me around. You're, yeah. you're 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 proud of the work that you do, which is great to see. Uh, but what got you there? What got me there, man? Um, I really think it's a, a love of plants and a love of uh, nature and a love of getting your fingers dirty and just that that connection to nature. I think there's something really innate in the human brain um, that uh, certain people can tap into. Um, and I think, uh, it's, it's, it's really ironic because, um, in the day and age that we are in, um, technology is sold as the, as the solution to everything. Well, what's happening is we're starting to surround ourselves in technology, um, to the detriment of our connection to nature. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really interesting. Um, and so I, I grew up, so Michigan is great. I mean, you know, 
high five of the United States, right? <laughs> so uh, we're proud to be in Michigan. Yep. Uh, West Michigan is phenomenal. We love our Lake Michigan, uh, sandy beaches, coastal dunes. It is the only uh, freshwater coastal dune ecosystem in the world. There's only one, and it's in West Michigan, and it's that's where I grew up. Um, I grew up uh, close enough to Lake Michigan that I could ride my bike out to the pier. I spent a ton of time in the you know in the in the hardwood forests, growing along the dunes, swimming in the lake. That's where my connection to nature started, uh, and it's like, man, how how could I? So you know, you know, growing up with this, how do I? how do I embrace that for the rest of my life? How do I, um, how do I make a career out of it really? Um, and like I said earlier, I, you know, thought, Hey, environmental science is great. Well, <laughs> how, how do you, you know, how do you make a, how, how do you, you make, make money on that? Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> how do you make money on that? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a hard sell. So, right, right. um, so like I said, really with my education and, and, um, that, that connection to nature, really getting into the horticulture industry is, is the way to go. Um, and, uh, being able to, yeah, be surrounded with plants like this. I mean, it's mid December, right. And we're, I mean, we're sitting in a greenhouse, have a nice chat. It's right. great. Um, right. what other industry could you do that in? Um, and, uh, and then the great thing too, is playing around with technology. Um, uh, you know, having that, having that drive of what are we doing here? How can we make it better? And looking back to that, uh, technology aspect of it and really putting those two things together. Um, so, you know, we're starting to hear stories of, you know, tech burnout where people are in the tech industry and they're getting burned out because they're just, they're losing that connection, whether it's personal connection, whether it's connection to nature, that's detrimental to, to the human psyche, really. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I can't believe how lucky I am to be able to do what I love to do every day and learn something new every day as well. And meet new people and look into new industries and uh, I mean it's great. That's awesome. So for for young um, people in agriculture, uh, young agripreneurs uh, looking to make a mark in the industry, what advice do you have uh, for navigating the balance between tradition, sure. you know, the, the way things have always been done, and innovation in their ventures? It's a really tough balance. Um, it's it's really tough to first of all gain the experience, right? Um, I mean, everybody has to go through moving flats and hauling carts and weeding and, you know, um, you know, even going back even farther, I, I really started my horticulture industry in a, in a, uh, a retail garden center, uh, doing that for a while. I did landscaping for a while, installation and maintenance and all that kind of stuff. You know, everybody goes to the ringer at some point, yep. uh, but then really having the stamina to, know that you you have to go through those steps to understand the industry as a whole um and and gain that experience um and then keep going like what's next uh i'm 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 one of those people that if things get too comfortable for too long then i <laughs> like then i get a little like okay like what's next bring it on right yep. so um i guess that's that's what my drive is is i i love learning i love seeing the big picture um i love to see how we can do things better where does it go from here? Yeah. Yeah. What's the next thing? Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> That's great so, advice. Yeah. Yep. Is there any, anything else that you'd like to discuss? Anything else that you think would be pertinent? Yeah. So 
we we mentioned this a little bit at the panel discussion that we're at. We talked about this on your farm too. Um, man, that was a great day. Uh, um, we did a little tour at at my dairy farm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really, uh, artificial intelligence and how that factors into things like milk and dairy cows or uh, growing plants in a greenhouse. What does that look like? Um, uh, we talked about what's our what's our biggest challenge in the industry. We talked about uh, labor, but we also like I, I want to circle back to that and talk about uh, AI a little bit as well. And it's really interesting because like we're trying to balance how much we and how much we look into it now, how much we invest, um, and then also um, like what can it do, right? So I think that's true for any industry right now, uh, whether it's automotive or online sales or like you name it. Everybody is looking to AI and seeing what can it do. Uh, for the industry that I'm in, um, how can it benefit me? Um, how can it benefit my job and what I do? And we're we're we're, we're there as well. Um, but we're we're going to do the same thing that we've done with any other technology. We're going to look around. We're going to see how other people are handling it. Then we'll start looking into okay, how are people ad, um, uh, adopting this into their into their greenhouse business? Take it from there. Learned this uh, a few months back. So there really is a difference too between uh ai and so artificial intelligence and machine learning those are actually two different things so um it's kind of being split by ai is really referencing a generative ai um and that's where all the headlines are yeah where anything that can generate content uh whether it's chat gpt or um some of these uh uh, image generators like Dolly 3 and things like that. Um, it's generating new content uh, based on an AI program. Okay, that's that's cool and that's flashy and yep, that's useful to an extent. But then how do you use artificial intelligence programs into data mining or you actually have a physical machine on your, uh, you know, in, in your farm or on your uh, production floor? And how does it mine the data that's that it's producing every day uh, and learning from that uh, is, is really fascinating to me. Uh, throw in vision technology in there too. And uh, man, it's, it's, you guys, it's, it's a really big thing. Yeah. Yep. It's really fun stuff. Well, one thing that I've noticed um, looking at different sectors that are uh, using machine learning or AI, they, they are mining all this data and, and a lot of it is siloed, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yep. really, a lot of times the bottleneck is what what system are you, is going to be able to integrate all those data points because yep. you're collecting millions of points of data and, and they might be like for you guys, it might be watering system and it mm -hmm. might be your uh, sorting system and it might be your labor tracking system. Yep. What actually brings all that together exactly. that you can, yep. you can get useful um, outcomes from, yep. right? And, it, and it's really interesting too because all the stuff that you just talked about are it's really only talking about the, about the greenhouse parts that you saw today yeah that's just the the manufacturing side exactly of it, right? and then when when you talk about bare root farming i mean we grow our crops in rows like anybody else yep. right and we need to plant them we need to harvest them we dig them we process them um what does that look like on the customer facing side where we get into edi programs and uh online sales and social media posts and all that you know we have all of that as well how does so integration on a on a big scale like that for things that are totally unrelated, how do you relate a plug that's sitting in the greenhouse here to a social media post 
of the same product, right? How do you connect the data in the system to, to make that sale happen? Really fascinating stuff. So many ways to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. Anything else that uh, you'd like to discuss? I, I, we covered a lot. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking me around today, Aaron, yeah. and for doing this interview. Mm-hmm. Um, got beautiful facilities, and I look forward to seeing what Walters Gardens and, and you yourself get up to next. Awesome. Uh, and appreciate you coming on board. Yeah. Thanks so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Aaron Phillips as much as I did. I know I learned a lot from him about the nursery and greenhouse business, a sector that I didn't know a whole lot about before that interview. And I really appreciated him taking me around to see uh, Walter's Gardens, their use of technology and their uh, push for continuous improvement in their business. So I think there's a lot to learn for all of us, no matter what sector you're in, in agriculture. Now, I ask you to take the time to like and subscribe to our channel, Ag Culture Podcast on whatever platform that you use to listen to podcasts and please share it with others. We appreciate that greatly. Thank you and have a great day.